Transition partners take mental health very seriously. We are now supporting Claro Mental Health Charity, who are local and based in Harrogate. We are working closely with Richard Kenny, who is the IT director at Tech Buyer. Claro operates as a commercial workshop making goods for businesses, which enable those with long-term mental health conditions to function in a voluntary real work environment. We would love it if you can join us in supporting this amazing cause and charity and donate what you can. Any any amount will be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much and thanks to all our listeners. Hi, this is the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greening. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. Welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. So very happy to have you listening and tuning in today because this week we have the fantastic Enrique Bereggio, who is the CTO at Primephonic. So Primephonic is a fast-growing music streaming service that has been dubbed by the media as the Spotify of classical music. By building an app dedicated entirely to classical music, they are reinventing the digital classical musical experience and reigniting a global passion for the genre. Available in over 150 countries with offices based in New York and Amsterdam, Enrique is joining us from Amsterdam today. So it's so fantastic to have him here is an experienced CTO with a demonstrable background in early age startups and scale-ups so hello hi thanks for having me hi hi Enrique nice to meet you fantastic to have you on the show (laughs) and so it'd be really interesting to start with um always like to start with a nice open question to understand how your tech career started and how you got into tech how you got to where you are today um, understand that you've moved around a little bit so it'd be good to to tell the listeners and, and viewers of um you know a bit about your background and um, and I think you went from sales to tech my understanding as well so that's really interesting as well so let's um yeah tell us all about your journey then sure uh well where do I start let's see I think <laughs> the um if I had to think back about the yeah, when I was first introduced maybe to tech I think I have a mm-hmm. I share quite a the common story of you know early early kid maybe early in my teens kind of uh, I was introduced to this thing uh, the computer and I think uh, eventually that's where the, the interest interest um, grew out of I spent pretty much you know, all day all night looking into computers eventually I found out that there's this thing called uh, programming and then you could actually uh, uh, tell it to do stuff um, <laughs> so I started buying books and then just basically uh, teaching myself how to how to code. Um, not really working towards any anything in particular, just learning, you know, small things here and there. So that also led me to um, uh, to decide what to study. So I studied uh, basically software engineering uh, in Argentina, where I was living at the time. Um, oh. I'm originally from Brazil, but then, yeah, when I was a kid, I, I moved around a little bit. Uh, I ended up living because of my parents' works. Uh, ended up living in, in the Cayman Islands, then New York. Wow. 
they're in Argentina, so that's why. Very yeah. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It is, yeah. Some really nice, um, uh, nice memories. Um, and then, yeah, I eventually landed in, in Argentina. So I did my uh, high school and then college there. Mm-hmm. And after I graduated, I went straight into kind of the, the typical uh, jobs that a, a software engineer would go into. So that's mainly programming. Um, I, I worked as a programmer not too much, I think like a one or two years. And then I, I felt like I was, oh, I felt a little bit like I was outside of uh, where the real action was happening. So then I, I tried my luck with uh, yeah, more kind of sales and pre-sales. First, I went into pre-sales, uh, technical pre-sales uh, at a large telecom uh, company in Argentina. Uh, I spent two years there, but it was way, way too corporate. You know, tens of thousands of employees uh, mm-hmm. used to be a public, co- uh, sorry, yeah, a public company uh, before. Then it was privatized. So you can imagine the mindset was not so much on the, uh, let, let's get things uh, going. Yeah. Then I switched mm-hmm. into a really like hardcore sales, you know, picking up the phone, calling uh, 50 people a day. Um, I lasted six months. That that was a <laughs> For me to, to know that well, I, I don't want to do this, uh, and then I eventually made myself back into the into the tech world. Um, so I worked mainly as uh, yeah, diff- taking up different roles as, as as developer, as tech lead, kind of uh, growing mm-hmm. from there. Um, and I think around 20, 2014, 2015, um, mm-hmm. I also started getting this feeling like as like I was well, I was used to moving around a lot when I was a kid. Uh, and then I felt like uh, I had been in Argentina for a bit, a bit too much already. So I started mm-hmm. looking for, uh, for possibilities uh, outside. Um, so I, I remember yeah, for some reason I, I picked the Netherlands uh, and I really started sending a lot of CVs. Um, none of the CVs went through, but uh, yeah, by, by sure luck, I think uh, a company, very, very small company back then uh, reached out to me. And after a lot of back and forth, back and forth, uh, I decided to join them. So that was my, my mm-hmm. previous employer. And you'd never been to Amsterdam before, had you? Never been to no, Amsterdam. no. I came here uh, for, for a couple of weeks before uh, I officially said yes to the company. But prior to that, wow. uh, oh, no, sorry. I did come here. I came here for a job interview um, at Booking.com. Yes. Hey, right, right. Yeah, yeah I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, it was a little bit of a, well, quite shady, actually, because this this company, they, it was a very, very early stage uh, startup uh, to the point where it had no name, right? It was, uh, right. It was just, I think there were, uh, there was no website, there was nothing. It was just like a well, supermarket online venture kind of thing. Uh, that is a huge leap of faith. It is. Um, but then eventually... <laughs> and a no, very I, big challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, well, I was so eager to come here and then I got to meet the founders, got to have a uh, calls with the CEOs uh, and then he also said why, why don't you come here for a couple of weeks um, see for yourself that we are normal right we're not uh, <laughs> like weird people um, <laughs> that led, led me to actually move to, uh, to the Netherlands uh, and I spent almost almost four years working at that company uh, and about two years ago I moved on to, uh, to Prime Funnel, which is where I'm currently uh, working at. Fantastic um, so it'd be interesting to find out a little bit more about your previous company and like your experiences of, I mean, obviously, like Kelly said, that was, you know, a big, big leap of faith and there was no name. Uh, you must have learned so much. 
um, and had you know been involved in in so much. Um, I mean, I don't know if you were involved in in helping them to set up the name, and it'd be really good, I think, to because we do have from time to time quite a lot of kind of um, CTOs and leaders that have come from that startup background or that would aspire to move into that sort of position. Um, it'd be interesting to tell the listeners in a little bit more detail what your involvement was, what the challenges were, any pain points, and then I guess the same for Prime Phonic as well. Yeah. Sure. So I think with regards to, uh, to the previous company, by the way, it's called uh, it's called Picnic. Yeah. And that's basically it. That's uh, an online supermarket to, to I think that's yeah, basically uh, no physical stores, anything like that. So when mm-hmm. I joined them, I was uh, I was lucky enough to be one of the uh, one of the early tech hires, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that means I was working exclusively on on the mobile side. So it's uh, it's a company that offers, at least from a product perspective, they only offer iOS and Android apps. Um, so I was working as part of the product team, pushing the basically the the only user facing app. Um, and that was, I think, the most exciting experience um, was being part of the seeing the company go from from well, basically from very early stage to really scaling up significantly. Right? I think when I joined, I don't know the exact number, uh, but probably the engineering team was maybe less than ten people. Uh, and by the time I left, it was probably around sixty or seventy. Uh, and the company itself was already the, the thousands of uh, of employees, right? So I think <laughs> going, experiencing that out, the, the 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 change from uh, the way you work to the processes to just the culture itself, right? Going mm. from uh, knowing every single person in the company to suddenly you know, you're gonna you go down to the kitchen, make, you're making yourself a coffee, and you don't know if you're talking to a maybe a new hire, a candidate. Uh, you have no idea right so um, <laughs> so that was quite exciting and then I think it's also what what gave me kind of the 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 knowledge that um that I wanted to get or the experience that I wanted to get to really formalize the move more towards the the management side right because I think if you're if you're one of the early hires in uh, in a company you're also f- sort of forced to pick up quite a lot of things that are outside of your uh, uh, your formal um, scope of work mm-hmm. right uh, just because yeah, you've been around you're, you're one of the the older guys you know how things work uh, and you're also forced to constantly kind of innovate uh, the way you work right because I think I always like to say that by by definition I think a startup is always it's always behind where it should be right from um, maybe from internal processes to um, you know, employment yeah. benefits to anything, you're There's always so you're much always yeah. <laughs> you're, you're always you know you're understaffed. You have uh, an infinite list of things, so you're you're, you're always in kind of survival mode. Um, so I actually really enjoyed that, and it was also one of the reasons why well I decided to move on because I felt like after four years the company was no longer in survival mode. It was really in kind of a, um, optimization mode, right? There was a mm-hmm business uh, the business model worked and it was really about getting that you know percentage point here percentage point there or scaling the team um, you know, from 10 to 20 20 to 30 and so on uh, so I felt like I, I really I got to learn quite a bit of a well I learned what you know, probably 10 20 years of experience condensed in, uh, in <laughs> four years what would, what would you say your biggest learn during that time what would you say your biggest learning was the biggest learning, um, I think it's it, it's probably the uh, 
to, to be okay with things being good enough. Uh, I think that's the, that's the number one um, point that I take with me in also in working in any startup. I think, especially now, um, you know, you hear stories, uh, companies that are a lot more public in, in what they do, right? So yeah, I think you have a tendency to look at the, to look at the, the successful uh, cases, right? You look at them, um, you look at Airbnb, you look at Uber, you look at these huge companies with uh, infinite resources. Uh, and you have a tendency, I think, as a team to think that, well, if you're not at that level, then you're not good enough. Um, I think, and that's, I think that's the complete, completely the wrong mindset when you're in a startup, right? You could, uh, you're constantly forced to kind of uh, make really tough decisions into what, where are we going to spend our time on, right? And if we spend our time on, you know, one thing that means also saying no to 20 other things. Right. Um, and I think being able to know, to recognize that, uh, well, you know, you don't have to be good at every single aspect of, of every single thing that you do and really allow yourself to take as many shortcuts as possible, um, to get to you know, whatever you want to prove. Right. And that's maybe, um, at least in the case of prime funding, you know, what we, we try to do is always ship, products, ship something, ship a feature, right? Uh, so to have that as kind of the aim, end goal always, not to let yourself think that, well, you know, uh, we're going to ship this, but if it works out, we don't have the, we won't have the, the perfect automated way to make this feature live the next five years. Well, I think that's fine, right? Because um, it, it allows you to make mistakes quicker. Uh, and I know most of the stuff that you make in the startup, no, maybe they won't work out the way you originally thought of uh, mm-hmm. that you may even the amount of time you put into something in your brain doesn't necessarily correlate to how successful that will be once you push it out to users. Right. Um, I think that's the number one thing that I, I saw during my time at picnic uh, that if you know, maybe on the surface, you look at this amazing product, it's beautiful, but then you open up the box and you say, Oh, Jesus Christ, that's how we built it. <laughs> but, uh, but you you met the goal, right? And once you know that something works, uh, you can always go back and, and make it pretty, make it efficient, make it a cost effective. Mm. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Um, and so then, so Prime Phonic, you've been with Prime Phonic for about two years, did you say? Yeah. yeah. Um, so how's the two years at Prime Phonic gone for you and what challenges and pain points are, are you experiencing or have you experienced? Sure. Um, so I think when I joined Primephonic was a, a very different company. Um, I think mm-hmm. I joined right about the time, I think the first week actually that we had a, um, the official launch of our product. And so what we have is, yeah, we have a music streaming app for uh, basically uh, only classical music. Um, when I joined, we had launched in the Netherlands, UK and US. Those were the three main markets that we were focusing on to, uh, to explore, basically see if, if we had product market fit. Uh, and also at that time, I was the first, uh, the first true technical hire. Um, we had outsourced product development to, um, to development agency here in the Netherlands. Um, and also outsourced different parts of development to other companies for example, uh, the whole music streaming part was outsourced. Oh, we were using technology from a company in Singapore. Singapore, uh, We had about 10 developers in this dev agency here in the Netherlands. And we also had another dev agency in the Netherlands working on a separate part with two guys from Ukraine working on something else. So it was a bit of a, 
it was a bit of a managerial uh, nightmare, I guess. Um, <laughs> and that was, yeah, I think it's also one of the reasons why I was hired, uh, mm-hmm. was to really build up the, uh, the in-house tech team, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the moment we launched the product, we saw that there was, uh, there was product market fit. We were seeing a good number of downloads. People were subscribing. And then there was also the need to bring all of that tech product knowledge um, in-house, right? So I think the whole whole 20, I, I joined, I think, uh, around September, I think, September of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the last part of 2018 and all of 2019, uh, the main focus, at least for myself, was on, uh, on hiring a team of, of tech people. Um, so that was hiring about, about 10, 12 people in, in 12 months, uh, uh, which was quite challenging, of course, because you're also hiring, you're hiring people into a team that doesn't exist, right? Yeah. And to, to make it even more complicated, it's not that it doesn't exist. There's already a, 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 a team in motion, but it's not, it's not the Prime Phonic team. It's the team from the, the tech agency. So you're also, you have to be very open about the, uh, about the candidates that, well, your initial two, three months, you're going to be onboarded you know, kind of outside of Prime Phonic, which is you know, a cultural uh, shock, right? Um, so that was quite challenging, I think, going through that process. Uh, I don't think anybody had really a good idea of what the best way was was to go about it. Uh, I think the good thing for for us was that you usually hear a lot of ho- yeah, horror stories about dev agencies delivering or under delivering, overcharging. Uh, that was definitely not our case, right? We had uh, our tech aid, we're, we're, we're based in Amsterdam. Uh, this agency is based in The Hague. So we're just a train ride away. And we, did, we would actually spend a lot of time, a lot of days uh, with them. So they were highly technical people, you know, very senior, really good at what they did. So they left us with a really good foundation, really good baseline. Yeah, it of the sounds product. like they were really integrated into the business, like a proper partner. Yeah, so they, uh, they do, I think the... Um, they really like to join early stage companies as kind of like this, this technical co-founder uh, mm. uh, role, right? So they not only build the product, but they also provide kind of the, well, everything that goes uh, with it, like product owners, scrum masters, uh, okay. you know, quality assurance. So it was a full team. That's brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So how many have you got now? Where are you kind of at? What stage of the business are you at now? So I think uh, company-wide, we're about 40, 45 people. Um, okay. So we also had to, to move offices uh, mid, mid last year uh, to a bigger one, which is, well, not being used right now because of the uh, <laughs> yeah. corona times. <laughs> but yeah, we went from, I think when I joined, Comedy was about 15 uh, people or so, if I recall correctly. So also quite a significant uh, growth uh, to go from 15 to 40, 45 people in, uh, in, in, in less than two years. Uh, so I think for now, it's a, it's, a, it's a good size out of which about 25%, so that's 10, 10 to 15 per, uh, people are uh, actively working on the, uh, on the tech, tech product side. Mm-hmm. brilliant so I've got a couple of questions now you've told me all of that which is really interesting so the first one is setting the culture because that was something you clearly got to do you were the first person in there a CTO to come and completely set the culture for the team how did you go around that and what were your hopes and what's the reality of the culture yeah, like yeah I think that's a that's a good question because um 
culture is always a tough thing, right? Because I think mm-hmm. you can you can write it down, you can have a vision of uh, what you want your culture to be like. But I think in practice, I think uh, at least in my case, I found out that culture is usually the, something that you you suddenly you wake up one day and say, oh, okay, so this is the culture, right? Uh, this is what we have, and it's usually maybe it's in, something happens within the team, within the company, and you kind of see people's attitude around it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's usually some sort of crisis, right? It's a service outage. It's mm-hmm. something happening. And that's when you get to experience kind of the, how people react to it. Um, so in our case, yeah, it's not like we didn't have a culture. The culture was there. Uh, uh, but we were also very aware that, well, if you're bringing in 10 new you know, people into a team of 15, that company is going to, that culture is going to drastically change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the way we always had a very, um, it's, it's, it's still, we, you know, it's a very, I, I really don't like the, to say family, right? Because I think, uh, I think jobs are jobs, family is family. But, it, <laughs> but that was the culture at the time and it worked really well with Frank Funny, you know, a, a lot of team outings, uh, we had things like, um, oh, we still do, uh, uh, things like uh, we cook lunch every day. You know, so somebody cooks uh, ourselves, we cook. So, oh, really? you know, it's getting tougher and tougher. Uh, you know, it, was, it was okay to cook for 15 people. Now to yeah. cook for 40, it's yeah. becoming... Oh, my God, I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. How do you find the time to do that and run a startup? Uh, so that, <laughs> that's also part of the culture, I think, right? Um, mm-hmm. I that's think really you're, cool. You're What's your dish on. of choice? What do you cook when? It's oh my gosh, I uh, I never cooked to be honest. <laughs> I've, uh, you got away with it. Yeah, I've uh, I've bought salad and opened up the salad. Oh, there and, we go. And that's <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. But I think at at one point, I think we were also realizing that we were eating lunch at like two three p.m. Um, but that's, it's interesting because it's also part of the you know I think what I mentioned about a startup always being behind. You no, know, it's mm-hmm. suddenly we're thirty people. But, you know, we still want to have this uh, uh, this this culture of cooking every day, but it's it's not really working out, right? Yeah, yeah. we're cooking uh, out. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I think um, I know when we spoke before today's recording, you mentioned how kind of interesting it was that you're able to bring talent from all across the world, right? You're allowed to hire. There's a lot more visa freedom, isn't there, over in Amsterdam? So you're able to hire people a little bit more freely than we are um but I think it'd be interesting to find out more about that and that's that's obviously played a key role into the the culture that you've created it's probably quite a young environment I'm sure with people relocating for the vacancies and opportunities but how do you attract and retain talent because mm-hmm. Amsterdam's sure. getting super competitive yeah yeah it is it's uh it's highly competitive I think mm-hmm. also well, first of all the amount of amount of cool startups here it's yeah, yeah it's uh, every day there's a, well, probably multiple startups uh being created so there's competition there and there's also it's it's relatively you know it's quite simple and easy to bring people from from abroad right so there's there's actually quite a lot of uh uh well um incentives from the government to do so so i think we there's really no reason why you wouldn't open up your vacancies to to worldwide right uh, and i think as a startup in amsterdam you're you're almost forced to do that because if you only focus in in the netherlands you're just not going to fill your hiring needs uh you, there isn't enough people um but i think in our case 
either way, we, we, we try to do it. I think we said, well, let's, you know, to, to gain some time, let's see if we, we find people from the Netherlands. I think on the first month we said, well, it's not going to work. Uh, not enough candidates, um, but I think the yeah. How do how do uh, to get back to your question? How do how to attract talent? I think there's in a way we I think we were a bit lucky with the type of industry that um, that we are in, mm. right? So m- music streaming, you no, know, it's hard to find somebody that's not passionate about music. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily classical music, but everybody loves music, right? So uh, to get to sell, our, isn't it? Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. platform for tech. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's much harder for uh, my previous employee to sell you know, like a supermarket, online supermarket. <laughs> I think you start off uh, at a at a lower level of the excitement uh, <laughs> scale, right? <laughs> uh, but whenever you hear, you know, I think also the the engineering challenges that come uh, from building a streaming service. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of developers are aware of that. Yeah. Uh, and then they want to work on these, this huge, you know, it's, it's about scalability. It's about uh, you know, giving audio to people, um, you know, uh, quick in, in, in good quality. That's also one of the, one of our differentiators that we offer in high rest, 24 bit lossless. That's the highest possible quality. So there's quite some technical challenges to, to build those services. I think that's number one. Uh, so you were lucky uh, if you're not in a cool industry, then, uh, oh, uh, you have a tough, <laughs> tougher <challenge>. job. Um, <laughs> but I think what I also like, which is also, I try to look back on the reasons why um, why, why I joined early stage startups uh, when I was younger, right? I think you, mm. you either, uh, you have people that really, really look for, well, either they want to join a very well-established company where, you know, the priorities are clear, the you know, two, three, four, 10 year vision is clear uh, so, and they just need manpower. Um, or you, you have this mindset that you really want to help to grow the business, right? So uh, you know, our priorities last probably a month or a month to a quarter. That's how, yeah. how, um, fast, how fast we can, yeah. we can think, right? So I think for some people, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely a selling point. Right? And we also see also people coming from bigger companies uh, and they even, you know, they take a salary cut to join startups because they, they are, they get, basically they get fed up of this, uh, this you know, slowness to respond to, to industry, um, to best practices, to something like that. I think the, the cool thing about us selling uh, the position to work at a startup is that you, well, the amount of impact that you have on your customers, you, know, you, you see it right away, right? Uh, to give you one idea, we have, uh, we have one guy working on the iOS app and another guy working on the Android app. If they go on holiday, then well, there's no more updates for the iOS app. So that means you know, tens of thousands of users just won't get an update. So to have that sort of uh, um, ownership and responsibility uh, yeah. If you're a product person, you know, it's, it's a very unique position to be in, right? That you can yeah. actually shape a product. You, know, you can talk to, uh, you talk to everybody, right? From, uh, from designers to CEO um, to customers coming in uh, and just having coffee and talking to them. That's, That's the kind cool. of uh, connection to the product that you just, you won't get if you go into, into a huge, huge company. Like those are the two biggest, um, uh, I think, selling points when you try uh, when we Boy, try so it. Boy, sold it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then, a good job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like some sales skills. You've still got. 
Fantastic. So um, I'd be really interested to find out a bit more about um, some of your, like your one, what you feel like your one greatest achievement is. Obviously, you've, you've, you came from a technical background, you went into sales and you've gone back into tech. So you kind of done both. You kind of come up through that, that route of, of doing both. Um, I assume as well when you worked in sales, there's probably some really great stories and, and achievements to talk about. So what would you say your one greatest achievement has been throughout your career so far? Hmm. Oh, that's good. One greatest achievement. Wow. Um, I mean, he's super one. young, so you've got a long yeah. way to go. <laughs> I'm not that young, but uh, thanks. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I think it varies. I think, uh, well, being... I'm a, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a, an achievement, um, but I think being okay with my technical background is something that I, I had to come to terms with, actually. And so I see that as a plus, because I really, I think I, I was, I started looking into computers when I was, like I said, early teens, and then all the way through college when I graduated, 22, 23, 24, I don't remember when. Um, I was, you know, focused on tech. I think, and I think the... At some point, I said, well, you know, I feel like life happens outside of tech, so I wanted to move out of it. Um, and being able to go to accept that, I think that was, um, yeah, call it, a, call it a seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or whatever, but actually say, okay, tech is really what I like. You know, if, uh, if, you, if you drop me at a bookstore, I won't go into the novels, I won't go into the... You know, I, I'm going to look at the geeky uh, tech manuals. <laughs> so uh, I think embracing that and, uh, and finding a way to build a career where I get to use tech, um, mm-hmm. but not, not necessarily be in the you know, nitty details of, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. and then the most recent accomplishments or achievements for me as well, actually um, making the formal transition into kind of the, the highly technical career path. So that's, you know, developer, tech lead, that sort of uh, career path, mm-hmm. moving into the management uh, side. That's also something that could have gone, uh, uh, well, could have gone both ways. Either I realized that I hate it uh, and I want to move back uh, mm-hmm. or just that I suck at it. Uh, <laughs> and I think so far, I think things are uh, working out quite okay. Um, so I that's, that's um, like that transition that you made from, um, development like coding into sales as well is a pretty like cool achievement um you know I don't know I don't it's quite it's unique. Not often yeah it's unique and it's not often um you know people can go from from being a developer a kind of like I guess geeky mm-hmm. technical person into sales and then yeah. obviously grow themselves into you know CTO for um startups and um so yeah no you've it's a great great achievement there yeah absolutely I think it's uh I think it's no I I knew actually uh, before I went into sales um if there was one thing that I hated was sales right so I figured well mm-hmm. why not try it right uh, <laughs> if I lose if I lose six months I lose a year um but I think it's good to <laughs> sort of challenge yourself and at least you come out of it saying okay, I was right so I hate sales uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. so with your experience um in tech um obviously you've been in tech for a long time you're very passionate about tech um what would you, in your opinion what's your opinion of the future of tech right now yeah well if I knew huh uh, let's see. Ball. Yeah. So I f- I think it's uh, this is uh, 
I, I think we are seeing a shift uh, in, in how, if you, if you go into the, um, the coding side, I think uh, traditionally, ever since computers were invented, um, they sort of relied on, the, on us you know, developers to tell them what to do. Right? And we've been able to, to build a lot of cool stuff. Uh, but it's always kind of bound or restricted by well, our ability to code things that computers can do. I think um, over the past maybe five, ten years, uh, with the whole rise of you know, artificial intelligence and that, that sort of stuff, uh, yes, there's been a lot of hype uh, around it. So, you know, the, the hype and then what it has delivered, there's still kind of a huge gap there. Uh, but I think from the from the technical side, it's really showing a completely different way of of building, not building products, right? Um, so things like, you know, if you look at a, um, well, just look at a at um, maybe uh, to go to the medical field. You know, maybe you have a you know, diagnosis of uh, uh, X-rays or whatever, right? Scans. Um, so before it used to be. No, humans need to look at it and kind of say, oh, this, is, this doesn't look good, whatever. Uh, now you can program computers to kind of detect those. Uh, and now in the next phase, uh, you know, if, if you start implementing machine learning AI, you're moving towards, potentially, towards a scenario where, uh, I think we're already there in, in some levels, computers outperform humans, right? Uh, so we're not telling them, look for this spot, that spot. You're just feeding it you know, 50 years worth of images and diagnosis, and it's figuring out uh, that diagnosis, right? So I think, I think that will unlock a lot of things. We're already seeing that with the, in the medical field, we're seeing that with uh, you know, self-driving cars. You no, know, we're not, developers are not saying, you know, this, is, uh, this is the corner of Avenue 1 and Avenue B, and there's, you know, there's a stop sign there, and there's a stop sign there, but it's figuring out those things by itself. Mm-hmm. So I think that will help to get technology, you know, in a few years' time, really make a big jump. Now to the level where the the, the scope of the work of developers will also significant, significantly change, right? So I think that's, that's also a little bit where I hope technology goes into. Uh, on the flip side, I also see that, uh, yeah, we also see a lot of things being made like uh, you know, Snapchat filters. That's what kind of the, the, the brains are going uh, uh, into, right? People, uh, you know, PhDs, <laughs> PhDs and stuff, they're, they're creating Snapchat filters instead of uh, answering uh, bigger challenges. But, um, but I think that would, that would be kind of the, maybe a bit the idealistic, but you know, I think it would be nice to see technology applied to really, you know, Know, making us live better or you know getting better diagnosis that that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and it was interesting then when you were talking about ai like you clearly your eyes lit up and it's something you're really interested and passionate about but i'd love to know is there any other areas in tech that you're like really passionate about whether it be diversity inclusivity or anything what, what is it that that gets you out of bed in the morning and that you want to make a difference with yeah i think when it, to uh uh and it's just the the possibilities of building stuff actually you no know, it's not yeah. necessarily um not necessarily uh, one specific industry uh, of course you know I'm, I'm working right now in, in classical music yeah. mm-hmm. and there's there's quite a lot of challenges that uh, that we're trying to solve so that's that's something you know today that's what gets me up uh, in the morning i don't i don't feel like we're there in solving those challenges um but i think that's the for me it's also the 
that unknown fact, right? There might be something that happens and uh, you could use technology to, uh, to solve that. Um, but nobody really, really knows how is it going to be used or how, you know, what's, what the next big thing is. Uh, I do feel like we haven't seen the next big thing for a few years. I know if you look at, uh, if you look at uh, yeah, maybe the last kind of really big revolution was mobile uh, mm-hmm. smartphones. That, that's already 10, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been you know, different industries that made a little bit of a, hey, I'm here, and then disappeared. Um, but I do think it's mostly the, the kind of uh, being connected sort of devices, right? So the, 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 especially in the medicine, I think I really, I really feel like we're, we're falling behind in technology. And then, uh, yeah, with regards to, uh, to what you mentioned about diversity, uh, I'm not, don't really have a strong opinion about that uh, other than, uh, then, yeah, I think it's, yeah, there is kind of a, a big diversity uh, gap in tech. Um, I'm not sure to what extent that is, uh, that's just kind of, if, if I look back at uh, my university, right? So if I look back at my team now, yeah, of course, there is there is diversity. There's quite a lot of diversity. You know, I think in a, we have um, you know, people from a lot of different nationalities. But I also think it's a little bit of a, an idealistic scenario because you're never going to get to that point where, you're, where everybody's fully happy, right? Because that's just how society is, right? Uh, if, if I look back at my university days, 90% of, uh, of, um, of my colleagues, students, they were men, right? So it's only normal to say, okay, when you join a company, there's probably you're going to be looking at the same sort of uh, percentage points, unfortunately. So I think that happens with any industry. I think there's also industries that are not mostly women. Um, don't really have a strong opinion on that. Uh, um, yeah, I think it's, to be tech is just general. In general, it's something to be conscious about and something that we should all try and try and help and assist. And you've constantly just got to learn new things. Like I've done a lot in diversity and inclusivity before, but at the moment I'm trying to learn more about sustainability in tech mm-hmm. because that's something I didn't know anything about. It's con- you've just like got to consciously like learn new things, something new about what we can do in tech to be able to make a real difference. So. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, this one's a bit of a funny question. I guess it's a bit off the radar. But if you could change one thing in your life, what would it be and why? Ah, if I could change one thing in my life. Um... Stayed in the Cayman Islands? <laughs> I, I would change. I would have stayed uh, my whole life there. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, uh, I would change anything, actually, because I think, uh, of course, I've made uh, a lot of mistakes in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also you know, if, you know, the mistakes also shape you, right? Uh, so I would be actually a bit scared to go back and change things. And maybe I would end up in, a, in you know, maybe somewhere where that's not as, as nice. Uh, yeah, because so could have been completely different. Yeah, so I think I'm pretty okay with uh, where I am now. No, uh, I, always, um, I always believe in everything happens for a reason. Um, yeah. so I don't know about changing things, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about, what? we always love to end the podcast with finding about your plans for the future, like what yeah. big things you've got going on within the business, personally, what are you excited about, any big conferences you're attending, obviously they've all got to get out the window this year, but anything on your agenda that is something you're really excited about? Yeah, um, so let's say when I'm looking into the future, well, uh, 
on on a personal side, I'm uh, I just became a father. Uh, oh, so that's congratulations! Uh, congratulations. Uh, 20, 21 days ago, I think. Oh uh, my god! Yeah. So really, boy uh, or girl? it's a boy. Oh, lovely! Yeah. Oh, what have you called him? Vicente. Oh, that's no. that's like a Spanish Vincent. Um, yeah, kind of. oh, sweet. <laughs> uh, have you been so sleeping okay? You look quite well rested. <laughs> yeah, thanks. But uh, yeah, no, not at all. I think tonight I slept maybe three uh, three hours. Oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, yeah. <gasps> You remember those days? Yeah, I've got a little boy. He's five now. Hmm. Um, but yeah, still have a few sleepless nights. Doesn't oh, stop. <laughs> it gets better. Oh, um, but yeah, the, on the personal side, uh, yeah, look, looking forward to that. Um, uh, see, yeah, seeing how, uh, how that plays out, I guess. Um, and then on the professional side, well, there's, there are a couple of conferences that, uh, that, I, that I like to attend. Uh, of course, they've all been cancelled. Um, mm. But the ones that I really enjoy are, um, uh, they're usually European. Uh, so that's, I think, the, the two big ones that I went, um, that I've been going to. It's uh, the Next Web and Web Summit. I think mm-hmm. those are really good because they are, they're tech, uh, but they're not necessarily focused on anything uh, particularly, right? So I think you also get a, a chance to, to see kind of the visionaries of the industry and uh, the ones that really talk about you know, not what they're building now, but maybe what the world is going to look like 10 years from now. Uh, and I think it's every now and then it's also good to take a step back from your daily, just your daily uh, responsibilities and just be reminded that you are in a really, really cool industry. Right. And then uh, that the life is not just about, uh, you know, ticketing systems and backlogs and uh, releases, but also to have that bigger picture of what was to come. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, I'm not sure those conferences will happen uh, anytime soon. Uh, and, uh, I think lots of stuff's going virtual now, isn't it? There's a few mm. conferences that we've been into that will go virtual, but it's just different. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never the same. same. No, yeah. not at all. You can never get that, that networking no. That's the best bit, right? When you have the conversations with people, you meet new people, interesting people from all over. And um, yeah, I think that's obviously the key bit, the most exciting no. bit at the end of it. But um, it's been fantastic hearing your story. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Um, Enrique, if anyone wants to get in touch, is it best via LinkedIn, Twitter? What's the best form of contact for you? That, I think LinkedIn is uh, is uh, the best because uh, I don't have Twitter, so uh, okay. yeah, <laughs> the simple simple choice. Uh, yeah. Amazing, but don't get in touch too much because it's just not a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic! Oh, it's great to hear your story. Really interesting. I'm very inspired now, um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to, to um, going live with this one. Yeah, Perfect. thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no Thank problem. You. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing.